Today's date is November 25th, 2017. Hello, and welcome to Hit the Books Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Holcomb. And I'm Emery Saunders. And we're here to give you the saucy deets on everything comics this week. For those of you unfamiliar with the show, each and every Wednesday, Emery and I come to you to bring you the latest comic book news, let you know what's coming to your local comic book shops, and discuss the latest and greatest topics for your amusement. We're available on YouTube, Stitcher, and iTunes for free. You can also find our latest episodes on our website at www.htbvids.com. If that sounds good to you, be sure to hit like and subscribe and check out our other comic book content and reviews. So for those of you watching our YouTube channel, you may have noticed something different today. It's our guest, Bob, the hero we all deserve. Bob will be joining us for episodes without a a guest along with us, uh, featuring his beautiful mug and wearing the Michael Keaton Batman cowl. He's Batman. He's Bob. He's Batman. He's Bob, man. (laughs) (laughs) He's our number one. A bat. (laughs) I like to think of him as the spiritual embodiment of Bob from Stranger Things. And I hope you all will, too. That's that's adorable. (laughs) You're welcome, fans. (laughs) All right. Let's get into the real stuff here. Okay. Emery, what have you been reading? Well, as per usual... I am slowly catching up on X-Men. Gold. Gold. Specifically. Yeah. Um, but uh, we actually, you and I, just got done reading several comics that we pulled from uh, the local comic book shop, Laughing Ogre. A uh, little shout out there. Here uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Um, read several things, a lot of which were from Image this time around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, of course, the obligatory DC Doomsday Clock number one. So, we both read this book. Yes, we most, did. Most of these books we read right next to each other, so yeah. we, <laughs> we had the added benefit of reading each other's facial expressions. Oh, of which there were many. Uh, what, what was your impression of the book? Uh, okay, starting with Doomsday Clock number one. I have very, very mixed feelings about this one because I, I I have a very soft spot for anything Watchmen related. Actually, let me take that back. I have a very soft spot for Watchmen. Everything that isn't exactly the original 12 issues, but somehow still related to that, less so, but still. Yeah, and he's not just saying this, folks. Literally every conversation we have relating to any kind of comic book, Watchmen comes up at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> though I am a Marvel fanboy, Vertigo, which is owned by DC for the time being, had a stroke of genius when they came up with that comic series. And because it was so great, I... No matter what comic I'm reading, that is probably the rubric by which I measure comics nowadays. It's just, it's just how I view the world. 
And I, I really, I really wanted to like this book. But there's issues. <laughs> For lack of a better turn of phrase. Um, there's issues with this book. They're, they're like very obvious, almost baity uh, plot hooks that they have going on. It's just, uh, I, I, I don't know how to feel. I really don't know how to feel about this book. Well, I, I, I suspect that you have other issues among these minor things, specifically with the cover. Uh. Now, <laughs> Emery dislikes this a little bit more than I do, I think. But uh, on a recent episode, we talked about gimmicks that are used to sell comics. Yeah, we did. This time... The gimmick is not the variant. The gimmick is the number one <laughs> first printing of the issue, as shown on the back on the barcode. And uh, <laughs> it's one of those 3D hologram scratchy covers. Now, it should be noted that for this comic, they put the barcode on the back, which is something that DC hasn't done, I think, until this book. I I think... Somebody at DC is listening to our content and heard our our criticisms. Ooh, and our suggestions on how to improve the comic book industry. I think around what episode three, four, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, we, That's we, what I'm gonna tell we, myself. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> with our someone out there is with listening. Our tens and tens of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> They'll grow. One day, <laughs> uh, yeah, the number or size? I'm Raising? guessing size. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah. yeah, well, but, well, I think I think the key to this series is that it's not Alan Moore writing this. Yeah, now Alan Moore has been notorious for saying that he didn't want to do the mainstream Marvel DC stuff anymore because. Quite frankly, it was too childish for him, and he wanted to do more adult content, which I think sometimes works out, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, to say the least. But he, it's interesting that Jeff Johns is the one writing this, because Jeff Johns is known at this point for being nothing but just nonsensical events, sometimes good, sometimes bad, you know? Yeah. Um, sometimes he hits it out of the park, and when he does, it's outstanding. And sometimes he drops the ball, and when he does, it's pretty, it's pretty low. Yeah. Um, but he at least he knows how to write dialogue. <laughs> so even when the the concept is a little off, it, the dialogue is enjoyable. So yeah. Um. Obviously, Jeff Johns, you know, one of the main figures at DC Comics right now. Um, w- w- among the lead editors, um, you could definitely tell in the writing. But I, I, I thought it was interesting enough. I mean, the the basic concept. This isn't really a spoiler because it happens right away. The whole concept is in the aftermath of what happened in Watchmen. Um, Rorschach's journal went to the press. The press released all the information president came out and officially told the story of what happened and um what the goal was and what this causes is a chain of events where the goal of nuclear disarmament halts suddenly 
Um, there's riots and protests in the street because, you know, obviously millions of upon millions of people died during the Watchmen incident. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't read or watched the movie Watchmen, you know, you need to get to it. There are some differences in the comic book, so you should probably read the comic book before you see the movie. Yes, um, please. <laughs> although I think what they did with the ending of Watchmen in the movie was far better than what the ending of the regular Watchmen comic was. I disagree. All right, well, you can enjoy your Octo <laughs> monster thing. That's so stupid. <laughs> fucking it, random octopus thing at the end. It served a purpose. Yeah, I thought the, I thought the Doctor Manhattan like, semi new power thing was way more appropriate and logical. <laughs> I, I don't know about the giant octopus thing. Yeah, for those of you who haven't read it yet, go ahead and read it, and uh, then watch the movie. I mean, I don't feel bad yeah. about spoiling things for you. Oh for yeah, that that, comic. it's it, old. Uh, yeah, that, that <laughs> you, came you in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But if even but, if you know what happened, you, it's still worth the read because it's the journey that's fun. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, also, uh, leave a mention in the comments. Which one do you like better, movie or book? The debate rages on. I think the book is better until the end. <laughs> Literally up until that point, the book is better. But the end is just it's just so random. Uh, I think the change of the movie was appropriate. Yeah, that well for greater the, viewership especially. Y- y- there is actually a panel that shows like someone actually sketching out that thing before it's created. <laughs> It's just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it served its purpose, so I guess I can't hate it too much. But yeah. One of the few things I won't <laughs> criticize Zack Snyder for is that change. So. Um, Pro or anti-squid? <laughs> Sound off. I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of thumbs up from uh, Japan <laughs> and a lot of thumbs down for uh, everywhere else. <laughs> For um, reasons, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the 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 beginning of the book is basically all of this led to nuclear disarmament halting, riots in the streets, governments can't control their people. Russia has now, you know, without any kind of countermeasure from the United States, because their nuclear arms have been uh, compromised, at least as far as their ability to be controlled. <laughs> yeah. Um, Russia has invaded Poland and is starting its track to conquering Europe, which has a lot of parallels to today, so I, th- I think it's very appropriate. <laughs> there, are, um, there are actually several things that were happening in that world that were parallel to today. Yeah, um, but I think that was probably the big one, because this leads to the United States freaking out, because if they don't launch their nukes, Within a certain time limit, the Russians can hack their nuke infrastructure and render them useless. Yeah. And basically do what they want. And basically the premise of this book is that within a few hours, the world is going to go into full thermonuclear war because of Russia invading Poland and trying to essentially take over the entirety of Europe. And... uh, and obviously there's the factors of the unrest everywhere else and, you know, economics and the people and uh, social structure and governments and stuff on top of that. But um, 
it, it's a really cool setup and premise. And then you have a different <laughs> kind of Rorschach, I'll say. It's um, different. Breaking. For reasons. Breaking some characters out of prison in a mission to try to find another character needed to save the world. I think if you're familiar with the comics and the movies, it's pretty obvious who that character they're going to be searching for is. Yeah. What character was the deterrent for thermonuclear war in the original Watchmen? (laughs) Right. And Uh, who was the one? Hence his name. (laughs) Yeah. And also who was the one who could possibly join these two worlds? Yeah. So that's that's pretty interesting. I think it's a it's an interesting setup. There's some things I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know how that's gonna work out. But I, I got the feeling you were much more negative on it. Uh well The jumping off point that they have going all the way back to the original twelve issues of uh the original Watchmen comic, uh the very last issue does leave the kind of room that they needed for them to do this. Yeah. It just so happens that they decided to, one, have this take place in the 90s, which, I don't know, kind of feels cheap. Uh, Two, it, uh, it takes some liberties with these characters that, to be to be fair, it, yeah. it would be difficult to have this book in, you know, twenty seventeen. That's fair. When <laughs> that the book fair. was in the eighties, you know. Yeah. So, like keeping the time jump small, I think was all the characters yeah. would be so old and useless, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with the exception of Doctor Manhattan, you know. Yeah. So that, I, I mean, I, the thing that worries me most about this is I think their approach toward like what they view or what they've seen Dr. Manhattan as in this point. And, And there was so little of like the DC universe, like even referenced in this book. Yeah. That when we finally got to it, it just seemed like, Oh, it's kind of out of nowhere. It seemed very jarring and out of place. I'm just very curious if Alan Moore gave his sign off on this story. I am almost certain that he did not. Because I imagine this would be hard for DC to do without any kind of fan repercussions if they kind of fall on their face. Uh, especially if Alan Moore is vocally against it or just doesn't necessarily approve it or wasn't involved in the concept or anything. Yeah. Um, I, I think Jeff Johns can do a respectable interpretation of his work and do, you know, a kind of epilogue there. But um, I don't know. <laughs> it's just a weird situation to be in, you know? Yeah. I think it's even weirder that... Uh... Be like, Alan Moore has kept silent about this whole proceeding. Yeah, maybe I'll find like some kind of tweet or something about it. I don't know, but yeah, I'll, I'll look around. Yeah, I, like I'm definitely going to read issue two. Yeah, just to see where it goes. Yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, again, I wasn't rubbed as poorly as you were with the first issue, but I, I thought it was really slow 
and it spent a lot of time telling us nothing. <laughs> right. And a lot of time doing nothing really. Yeah. Um it it's, and like it's a, a thick s- book. It's not like a small it's a thick book. It, you know, it costs six bucks, I think. Yeah. I'm that, sure that's what I paid for it. it yeah, six bucks. Five ninety nine. So it's you know, it's a thick book. It's on you know this it, this is <laughs> this not holographic material. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 they're putting a lot into it and investing a lot into it. And we'll we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, I think that's the the thing that I think bog bog this down is like you said it was slow, and I think that's because it seems like as like how someone would interpret how a movie should go, or yep. how like a TV series should start. Yeah, I can see that. And instead of going the like action-packed, hit-the-ground-running approach. This one was very much the... It's like I'm already imagining Zack Snyder doing <laughs> exactly what they Please, did in this no. book. <laughs> Although Watchmen was one of his few good films, so... Yeah. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they're like, well, you're not so good at this, but we can make this for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, this might be the way to go for him. But, it, I mean, it seemed like... I was watching a show or a movie as opposed to reading a comic book. Yeah. All right. So what else did you read? Uh, We read uh, Maestros, issue two. Issue number two. Yeah. Yeah. We love Maestros. I love Maestros. I don't know. (laughs) Do you love Maestros? I think it's growing on me. Yeah. Maestros from Image Comics, by the way. Forget the author's name here. Steve, Steve Scrochy. Scrose. Scrochy. <laughs> Scrote. Also the artist. So he's got some talent, man. And the the covers are always super cool. Yeah, it's very like hyper detailed. Yeah. So uh Meister's number two carries on the wonderful legacy of issue number one. Again, <laughs> very mature comic. Yes. Mature language, jokes, images. Uh Gore, nudity, all that. <laughs> Very irreverent humor throughout this whole thing. But um Yeah, it's it's just such a cool, unique, you know, and fun book. I love this book. <laughs> I can't get enough of it, and I can't wait for issue three. God, I, I this character, this this main character, I I don't even remember his name, but I'm just gonna call him the maestro. <laughs> because that's what he is. Yeah. Uh he he just like how they've portrayed this character as basically imagine a guy who kind of grew up in like I don't know how you how do you put that um child to a single parent somehow raised in like a pseudo Hogwartsy magical place where briefly. everyone <laughs> briefly where everyone's a douche. Yeah, it's <laughs> and somehow it's, he comes out kind of well adjusted. Imagine a guy who is extremely insecure, uh has daddy issues to say the least, and was a socially awkward fat kid. <laughs> oh, growing up, 
it's true. But who eventually learned magic <laughs> and then came back to Earth after getting in trouble for essentially nothing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, having to go through extreme trauma before he went back as punishment. Oh. It's a, it's a funny book because he grows up to be a cynical, smart ass who just goes around making money doing magic tricks for people, <laughs> <laughs> which you see explicitly in the first issue. Oh, yeah. And um, in all of its turgid detail. It's <laughs> it's just so cool and unique. I, I think this this would probably make a great television show, too. HBO. Yeah. Only HBO. <laughs> it's outstanding. I love this book. Oh, yeah. You, for this to be a show, you would need the perfect asshole. Yeah. I I don't know if Robert Downey Jr. has any like awkward kids. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be the perfect combination. Oh my god, he he could be the first one who then like <laughs> dies and has like the awkward kid come in and take his place. Yeah. Yeah. It'd oh be, my god. It would be so perfect. That, that would be. Oh my god. Yep, uh, uh, Hollywood, get on it. <laughs> so yeah, if you're if you're an adult <laughs> and you're not reading this, you should read it. You need oh, to pick yeah. it up and do yourself a favor. Again, preface if you're an adult, because uh, uh, adults only for this one. We read a few other ones. I'll save uh, imaginary fiends for when we do uh, the did the content match the drapes. Yeah, we'll we'll but, talk about that one for that one. I can't reach this stuff. Can you reach that? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to remember what they all were. Um, we read a book I mentioned last week that is a local title here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, published by Scout Comics. It was written by some uh, local writers and artists who were inspired by a creepy night down in Hawking Hills. Uh, it's called Long Lost. And um, there's there's a little something there, but the, the writing is a little, especially in uh, right around the center of the book, there's some particularly weak writing dialogue wise yeah uh, the art's fine the art's cool it's all in black and white um has a unique kind of aesthetic to it it's not like walking dead where it's like polished black and white it's it looks very much like uh you know just somebody using their pen <laughs> and writing in a journal and sending it to you so yeah it's got a unique aesthetic um uh, and the ending leaves the door open for something more so I might pick up the second issue. We'll see how I feel about it. But yeah, it's it was mediocre. It was it was eh. It was fine. You, you can very much tell that this is the writer's first outing. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably pick up the second issue just to support local, you know, writers and artists and see see if they can pick me up on that second issue. But I felt like nothing really happened in the first issue, and there were some things that happened logically that was like so you wouldn't do this you know yeah you they didn't take the next logical step forward you know yeah it, it there, there was a bit of it that didn't make sense but I, again it, it very much seems like this is the writer's first outing into yeah. like doing comics and, absolutely uh it's like the the middle of this comic definitely shows that yeah so Long Lost from Scout Comics, you know, if that sounds interesting to you, uh, go ahead and pick it up. 
Um, I, w- I would tell you a plot, but there really wasn't one yet. It was more just, I felt like this entire comic could have been summed up in the first like two pages of any other comic. I yeah. think that's my biggest gripe with it. That was just it started so slow and didn't really give me anything to look forward to. Yeah, um, it, it gives. There's one page at the end that kind of gives you like hope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'll pick up the second issue. But other than that, I was, I was a little underwhelmed. Um, another book we picked up. This is from Image. It's called Dark Fang. Dark Fang by Miles Gunter. And this one is a kind of unique vampire book it, it it's adult in nature sometimes so you know for mature audiences probably but the art isn't ex- especially like great or you know um explicit in the book um and you can get away with a lot there i think yeah uh, there's a lot of adult suggestions and like talk situations situations they talk like the first page is like a, a thread for one of those you know pay live porn vids you know yeah pay tokens or whatever it, this um, is like the the setup for like the first couple of pages definitely seemed like they were pulling from personal experience. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like the the person writing this was very familiar with the uh, yeah the way these things work and the dollar values. And <laughs> I was like, this is oddly specific. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, that was. That I think was Miles Gunter might got... be a fan <laughs> of these uh, live girl. Yeah, yeah, money tribute. Uh, websites it, it definitely looks like it <laughs> which i always find stupid you realize porn is free right it, right <laughs> you can literally literally get it for free uh, uh it, it, it but whatever it's never gonna make sense i guess it's the thrill but uh it it had some interesting things to it i thought it went in a really weird direction in the middle where uh I guess we just decide to become a little mermaid. It's like under the sea. Yeah. Wait, what in the fuck? And and to be clear, if it's not clear from the cover, this is a vampire book. Um Yes. Again, it's called Dark Fang. And I I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like it could go in a really fun direction or it could go in a really dumb direction. Especially based on that ending there. Yeah. So I I wasn't really sure about it. What did you feel? How did you feel? The phrase sex sells comes to mind. And I think, honestly, I think this book was basically just pushing provocative material and trying to go the, we're we're going to hook a bunch of dudes who are like really into looking at hot chicks naked and you don't really see them naked though you see like the outline of a boob or something you know well this is for the people who don't want to this is for the people who don't want to get an obvious boob comic oh so they're not a fan of boundless (laughs) (laughs) not yet Uh, or at least not in public yeah yeah uh the premise Honestly, I think was a bit weak. And the very last panel alludes to a mystery that wasn't really foreshadowed enough for me to care, I yeah. don't think. 
Yeah, I'd probably agree. Uh, I did like some things in it, like her her past and how she became a vampire and all these things. That that was kind of fun. Uh, specifically, one panel I <laughs> I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but basically, she was just like the Cinderella <laughs> of the vampire world and retaliated. Until then, she turned into Blade. I think she's just, well, yeah. And then she <laughs> turned into the Little Mermaid. <laughs> there's a lot of things happening There's here. a lot of weird things happening. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. If that sounds interesting, if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you like vampires, if you like stories where a character is out of time because they were away, in this, yeah. in this case, underwater for a hundred years, <laughs> um, because that's just the thing she felt like doing. If those types of things and those types of stories gravitate towards you, you should probably pick it up. I don't know if I'll pick it up. It, it wasn't really hitting me where I I wanted it to, but there were things in it I liked. Like there's a f- there's one scene in it where I really I really enjoyed, thought that was clever, but then it it went in a really different direction after that. I was like, whoa, I don't know if I like this. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's a little different. Uh, another book we read is uh, Void Trip by Image Comics. This one written by Ryan O'Sullivan. Uh, I got this one almost exclusively because it was a number one and it had a cool cover. Unfortunately, the content inside <laughs> wasn't as enjoyable. And it reminds me of like the worst Cheech and Chong movies. <laughs> like, I think we've made a huge mistake. <laughs> I was getting Cheech and Chong vibes very strongly in this book. It's yeah. like if, if Cheech and Chong were exclusively on psychedelics instead of just being stoned, <laughs> that would be this book. We didn't need this. We really didn't. Yeah. We really didn't need this. I mean, I think they were going for like a fear and loathing vibe in space or something. But y- it, the thing about fear and loathing in Las Vegas is it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> Nothing in that movie makes sense. There's no coherent plot in that movie. It's just <laughs> funny for like people who have been on psychedelics and shrooms and stuff and have an idea of what that's like. There, There is a plot. There's it, not a plot. There, there, There's a plot. It's Johnny it's just... Depp being Johnny Depp. <laughs> In the desert and in a hotel room. <laughs> There's a plot to that movie. It's just... You could sum that up in like five words. <laughs> I'm here to do my job. It's just that, you know, like when you get down to the nitty gritty, his, his job was supposed to be like being a, a journalist? Ish. Ish? <laughs> It just so happens that surrounding that thing that we could have maybe recorded for like 10 minutes, yeah. we, we decided to sparsely spread out that 10 minutes over the course of another hour and a half worth of getting fucked up <laughs> on all k- different kinds of drugs, yeah. including ether. No one should do ether. I don't care who you are. Tell that to Final Fantasy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you get your magic <laughs> it's a different ether <laughs> it's better <laughs> but uh yeah you get high on ether and suddenly think you have magical powers <laughs> so that's how that shit works <laughs> yeah. i have to drink the ether so i can use my magic rocks 
wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's just meth crystals they're putting in all their weapons. <laughs> <laughs> They've been but, uh, high this whole time. Damn it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Void Trip, it's it's not great. Uh, the the basic premise is it's these two vagabond hippies and their space van that go around stealing shit to fix their space van and pay for their psychedelic tentacles. <laughs> and uh, they're being chased by somebody, and that's the whole premise of the book. So I'm guessing whoever's chasing them, trying to hurt them or whatever, because they did something, I'm guessing stole a bunch of psychedelic drugs. I think, I, I think that's going to be the basic premise of this book. I think this book would have worked better if it had actually just starred Cheech and Chong. <laughs> In space. In space. See, that kind of premise, like if you have a recognizable set of stoners, you can sell that. But when you come up with a book that on the outset doesn't really describe the contents they're in, nor does it really give you an image to get a better idea of what you're in for. Yeah. It. I think the thing about this book is that I was hoping for something else, and what it gave me was not what I was looking for. Yeah. So uh, if that sounds like an interesting concept to you, you know, go out and pick it up, but I wouldn't recommend it personally. It it wasn't to my taste, I'll say. Yeah. Um, and I don't think the dialogue was good enough or, you know, the art inside wasn't necessarily great enough to warrant, you know, exceptions Yeah. Uh, for me personally. Was there anything else you were reading? Um, I think the only thing other thing that I read is something we're going to talk about and does the content match the drapes? All right, well, let's get into it then. Yeah. Uh, for those of you not in the know, we do a segment every week called Does the Content Match the Drapes where we take the cover and variant cover of the previous week and tell you whether or not the writing inside was as good as the art on the outside. This week, uh, we had the task of taking Imaginary Fiends and possibly looking at Angel season 11, issue 11. But again, if it's too far into the series, it's really hard to catch up. I didn't watch the show, and I certainly <laughs> am not going to read that many comic books just to get caught up with it, especially in a week. So yeah, I would and still say this comic is collectible with just the art cover art alone. Oh, yeah. But... It, yeah, I'm, I have no idea whether the content is any good. So, unfortunately, we can't give you a recommendation on that one. Sorry, folks. But we were able to get Imaginary Fiends number one. And Imaginary Fiends from Vertigo, likely going to be the new headliner for the, the relaunch they're doing early next year, um, is written by Tim Seeley, who has done a ton of great stuff for DC. And uh, drawn internally by Stephen Molnar. And the cover was by Richard Pace. So shout out to all those uh, creators and artists. Um, I love this book. I thought it was an awesome setup for a really cool concept. Um, yeah, I, I would say this is easily, out of all the ones that we just read, this one was my favorite. I think this one very easily, thumbs up. Oh, yeah. 
the content did match the drapes and then some i'd probably say it oh. was it was yeah. really kind of cool and fun and interesting um the the basic concept of this book is i won't tell you what happens in the the beginning cuz that's actually a little bit of a spoiler and a little bit fun but basically the concept is some people have imaginary friends obviously as kids these imaginary friends turn out to be real however most people stop believing in them or ignore them or whatever as they mature into adults but these creatures which are parasites from a different dimension if the parasites grow strong enough in your mind and strong enough in their connection to you they can become empowered to affect the physical world including the host and the basic concept of this is there there's a government agency that has a task force dedicated to countering these mental parasites that can hurt people and in some cases kill people um And unfortunately, there isn't really a way for a physical person, specifically a physical person who can't see these imaginary creatures, to do anything about it. So they have to acquire talent, so to speak, who are able to see these creatures and have a creature of their own that they can have help them combat these other creatures and other hosts that may be harming people. And a key note of these creatures is that once they feel the f- the emotion of fear, it's like a drug to them, and it emboldens them and makes them kind of go crazy, and um, they feed off fear, so they're constantly instigating danger and chaotic uh, events in order to have that emotional fear to <laughs> essentially suck out of people, and, and this isn't limited to the host once they become this empowered um, level. And the more they feed, the stronger they become, and it, the the harder they are to get rid of, especially if the host is committed to believing that they are factually real. And um, it creates a really interesting dynamic with the, the lead character. Um, and she has to deal with a particular parasite, so to speak, or imaginary friend, whatever you want to call it, fiend. And... Uh, it really, it kind of reminds me of like Digimon <laughs> in a kind of silly way where, oh, you know, yeah. these, these characters have one of their own. Everybody has one that's dedicated to them and they just kind of grow and train with them or they t- get taken advantage of by them or whatever the case may be. But See, now I'm having flashbacks of like watching the individual Digimon evolve <laughs> and that like somehow being a big deal. Yeah. Um, also, if for some reason uh, you, the uh, the writer of Imaginary Fiends, is somehow listening to this, Tim Seeley, yeah, Tim Seeley, uh, don't go that route. Uh, what you have right here <coughs> is gold. Yeah, I'm loving it, and yeah. I, I I don't care if they evolve or grow or whatever. That doesn't <laughs> matter to me because they the whole concept is they grow stronger by feeding off fear and emotion and stuff. So. That that it makes sense for the context of the story, and that's that's fine with me. But I'm curious how the dynamic is going to work 
when you're in a situation where you need to control one of these things in order to combat another one or, you know, at least stall another one right. from doing harm to something or somebody. Um, because we haven't seen that yet. Uh, in right. this first it, issue, it, we have the setup of the premise. We have some interesting backstory. And um, you get to see a bit of foreshadowing for whatever is going to come. Um, done in a very uh, strong manner, you know. Is there anything else you wanted to add to this? Uh, anything that really stuck out to you in particular? I really got to say the artwork, honestly. Um, I mean, the, the writing was... The pacing of the writing was great. Uh, the, the way that they uh, had these characters portray themselves, the lines they were given, yeah. that was all done well. The art was fantastic yeah it was very good i loved how they framed the panels too oh yeah they did it very strategically and we were reading you know the physical copy not like the cinematic you know digital version right so even with the open book full page versions you it was still framed in a very cool and strategic way yeah i i think the the, the biggest thing for me was um when you actually get to see these creatures, yeah, uh, the the way that they drew them and how you could kind of tell at least a little bit about that person's imagination, yeah, from it, and you can kind of pick up on that person's mental state, you know, yeah, when they were a child when they created these things, so yeah, the the way that uh, these imaginary fiends. Yeah, I just name dropped the title. <laughs> <laughs> he said it. He said it. He, he said it. Roll credits. Um, the way that these imaginary fiends physically seem like some kind of reflection of the original person's psyche, mm-hmm. I think is going to be so interesting yeah. going forward, just given how well-designed they were from issue one. Yeah. I have one small concern, and that's at the very end you see an imaginary fiend from a, a character we don't know yet. Right. But that imaginary fiend seems an awful lot like the main character's imaginary fiend. And that makes me worry that they're all going to, like all the strong ones are going to look like the same. They're go- all going to have that same gonna aesthetic. Have like a, a similar feel to them. Which would kind of stink because earlier in the book you see another one and it that looks is completely different. different. It's yeah. completely different and kind of silly, actually. You yeah. know, <laughs> which is you know fine for the premise because these are kids, you know, imagining these things originally, and that's where their initial creation comes from. You know. Yeah. Um. So I was looking forward to seeing a lot of different, you know, variations of these fiends, and I hope they stick with that, and they don't all end up looking the same once they get, you know, to a certain age or whatever. For whatever reason, they artistically choose not to. <laughs> make it enough of a variation among them all, you know, across the board. So that's my one very, very, very small concern. But overall, love the book. Oh, yeah, um, easily. I would, I love Maestros more just because of how ridiculous <laughs> it is. But Imaginary <laughs> Fiends is set up for a very cool story. So oh, yeah. I would definitely recommend you pick up Imaginary Fiends. If you haven't already picked up Maestros number one and two, they're still out there. You can still find them. Pick up issue one and two. Um, and uh, 
I would say get the physical copies of both these books because I think they're both be very collectible and the artwork for both books, especially on the cover is outstanding. So definitely pick those books up. Is there anything else you wanted to add there? Uh, no, that pretty much covers it. Well, you heard him folks. We're moving on now for the news. What do we got going on in the world of comics? Yeah. First up, Jude Law is in talks to play Marvel. Wait, what? <laughs> AKA Dr. Walton Lawson from the Marvel Universe. Interesting. Now, but wait, I thought Brie Larson was playing Captain Marvel. What's the deal? Well, Emery, <laughs> there are several Marvels and Marvel and uh, Shazam slash Marvels. Um, Let's the, get them all mixed up. For those of you unaware, the original Captain Marvel was a DC character. Not DC, but DC proper because DC bought them. Um, DC character nowadays known as shazam for convenience which kind of stinks because captain marvel was a much cooler name than shazam in my opinion yes it um, was even though he uh, had i think no they just need to create military a, rank yeah i think they just need to make a new name for him because <laughs> i get that's what he shouts but it's just it's a little silly of a name it, yeah um, and I think it holds that character back from getting the sales and readership it deserves sometimes because they are usually pretty good books, uh, especially the New 52. New 52 actually knocked it out of the park. Um, but Something about that name, though. Later, Marvel and its kind of tendency uh, made its own version of a Captain Marvel uh, and I I don't I think Marvel <laughs> with two L's was the first if I'm not mistaken yeah yeah and, and then and Captain Marvel the one we recognize as the you know adult woman with military experience was yeah. trained and given her powers through Captain Marvel um yeah it was a Cree <laughs> the how the powers get distributed is a bit screwy but i'm pretty sure most mediums have her getting her powers from basically being saved via blood transfusion yeah and he kind of stereotypically crashes into earth like he's uh abin sewer of the yeah. green lanterns um again very familiar material here very familiar uh <laughs> Like, oh, man, this space alien is totally encountered by this fighter pilot that somehow ends up getting the same power. Yeah. I wonder where we might have gotten this idea. The name, <laughs> the idea, the concept. Uh, and even, like, the, the passage of the traits is very Dracula-esque. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, it's very transfusion-y. But then... Marvel Comics, which was then Atlas Comics, I believe, changed their name to Marvel so they would have a greater stake in the name in case of copyright suits, as you would expect. And obviously, as we know today, <laughs> DC was like, yeah, this isn't worth the fight and changed the <laughs> name to Shazam. Yeah. Um, and 
I think then DC's, later we yeah. had several other iterations, specifically like Miss Marvel, uh, which I believe there's been two of. Uh, uh, there's the current yeah. Khan, who's stretchy. Kamala Khan. And I don't know why she's Miss Marvel, because she's just stretchy. She, she, fantastic Khan. She's <laughs> she, Miss she's Marvel because she felt like it. <laughs> she She has powers... But she really wanted that name. Yeah, uh, I ooh, it, it it makes me so mad every time I think about it. So Jude Law is apparently in talks for becoming Marvel, and um, the original OG. I think that's pretty cool because it shows a, a a lot of dedication to that character. Yeah, um, which is weird because I don't think he really is that relevant in the Marvel universe. Uh, like he, beyond giving her his his powers, he really doesn't do much. Yeah, no. At least from from my limited readership of Marvel comics, you know, it, it, like his appearances after like the seventies are very few and far between. Yeah, it's mostly Ms. Marvel. Yeah, as it stands right now, I believe uh, the Captain Marvel movie is scheduled for twenty nineteen, late twenty nineteen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's supposed to be in between uh, parts one and two of the Infinity War. Yeah. So, uh, it's definitely cool that they're trying to get Jude Law. It means they're willing to spend money on talent Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for this character that I thought would have, if any role at all, <laughs> a very, very limited role. So Yeah, everyone kind of assumed that we were just going to skip over that one. Next up on the news, DC is producing... An adult action comedy, in quotes, uh, Harley Quinn animated series for the DC digital service app. Is that is that a porn? It sure sounds like one. <laughs> <laughs> the way they describe it. <laughs> I kind of think it's going to be more like Stripperella. Oh, I don't know if you remember that. It was on FX with Pamela Anderson. I do. It wasn't a porn, <laughs> but it was pretty close. <laughs> um, as close as you can get to it without the like actual like really deep-seated guilt of like, yeah. I, I just watched a porn. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched a porn cartoon. Oh. oh. <laughs> so uh, that's... <laughs> I don't know what they mean by adult. Maybe it's just adult language and maybe violence or something. But Or maybe it's just meant for HBO, like Game of keep, Thrones. DC just keeps trying to milk Harley Quinn in every way possible, and I'm getting so sick of Harley Quinn. And they're using her, with the exception of Batman White Knight, they keep using her wrong. Yeah. It, it, it's... <laughs> It's like literally it's just trying to use her as eye candy again and again and again and again and make her into a pseudo good guy, which is not what she is. N- uh, never. Historically, so, never is that a thing. I'm just getting so sick of this Harley Quinn stuff. <sighs> uh, it will feature characters such as longtime friend Poison Ivy. The show is being written by Harley Quinn writer Amanda Connor. And Margot Robbie is apparently being asked to perform uh, the voice acting for the 26-episode series. It will join the Titans live-action show and the revived Young Justice series on the DC proprietary app, which I think is, is going gonna to fail. Is going to fail epically uh. because people don't want to pay another ten dollars for another app for three shows. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Uh, it sucks that Titans is going to be exclusively on there, 
because I do want to watch that. It's I don't know if Young Justice is going to be exclusive because I thought Netflix had picked it up, but it, it will at the very least be on the app. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I'm not like super excited about this news. Yeah, the DC app alone is enough for me to be like discouraged from wanting to watch it. And then you add the fact that it's a they have to advertise that it's an adult <laughs> Harley Quinn animated series, and that just <laughs> Just that <laughs> that sentence alone just annoys me and grosses me out because I'm like it, it it's clearly exploitative you know oh like, yeah they're clearly just exploiting a very crude version a kind of shitty version in my opinion of the character like oh um, we know what all of you older comic book fans really want and that's that's what this is to me that's <laughs> further further uh confirmed <laughs> maybe it's bias confirmation i don't know but i think it's further confirmed by margot robbie being solicited to be the voice actor for oh. who to my knowledge has not done voice acting but maybe she has i don't know uh, uh yeah it I just w- seems kind of strange to think of anything she's done as far as like voicing anything honestly and i've you know, I, again, I refuse to watch Suicide Squad, the movie, God because I will believe that trailer, that epic Bohemian Rhapsody trailer, was reflective of the wonderful movie it was until the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I will not watch any evidence to the contrary, specifically the movie itself. I swear to God, I'm going to clockwork orange you. <laughs> uh, like, I'm going to... No! <laughs> like, I-, I will be nice. And I'll gently replace my put- head with Bob. <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> I will be gentle and make sure to eye drop your eyeballs <laughs> as they are Assaulted. permanently fixed open and made to watch the thing that a lot of us regret. Regret. <laughs> I can't talk. That movie made me dumb. <laughs> that, oh. <laughs> it hurts. I don't care. I don't care if that movie made me dumb. I have to share in my misery. You were going to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. But I've heard that Margot Robbie's accent and voice for Harley Quinn was very inconsistent and weird. Like she would try to do the kind of pseudo New York thing, but then she would kind of flop on it later and she would have like a weird British accent going and just a bunch of... <laughs> I, I th- I'm pretty sure she's Australian, so I'm sure that bled in there a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, if you I, guys I know are, you're going to watch that movie eventually. If, if, no, I, I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. I want them to cancel this movie series altogether. <laughs> I refuse to watch another one. Uh, I'm sure they'll cancel it right after you watch Suicide Squad. Oh no! <laughs> what if that was their stipulation? <laughs> Chris Holcomb. Host of Hit the Books podcast. We will end it. Needs to watch Suicide Squad from beginning to end, (laughs) including credits. Or we're going to keep up with our current DCEU. Or we're going to have Snyder run this universe to the ground. (laughs) Ride or die, motherfucker. Ride or die. (laughs) It's your choice. Uh, Next up on the news, Lizzie Kaplan. From uh, Mean Girls and The Interview and a few other movies. Uh, yeah. Has been hired to be the female lead opposite of Channing Tatum in the upcoming Gambit movie. Ooh. From, don't fuck up. <laughs> from Fox. Uh, 
The character is going to be playing the uh, lead opposite to Channing Tatum and has yet to be named. The movie, directed by Gore Verbinski from Pirates of the Caribbean, is slated to release February 14th, 2019, a.k.a. Valentine's Day. So, Gambit superfan, you're looking forward to this, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why not? It's everything you wanted and more. <laughs> oh, how do I have no confidence in the movie? Let me count the ways. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is Gore Verbinski only the latest in a long line of directors that have been attached to this project, mm-hmm. but Channing Tatum, no matter what anyone thinks of him, no matter how good he is in some of the projects that he's been in, Logan, Lucky, I'm looking at you, uh, this type of movie has had problems since Jump Street. And honestly, this movie, at least in my opinion, should have been pretty easy to make. We we have the Ocean 11 through 13 series out there. Yeah. Like, we have the Thomas Crown Affair. We have other movies that involve thieving. This really should not have been that hard. Yeah, I think it... <laughs> I understand that Channing Tatum is from Louisiana, and he I've heard him on an NPR interview use his natural... Um, like his full-on... Dialect. Uh, yeah. He's got that Creole dialect, that Southern Creole dialect, um, and he hides it for his movie roles because, obviously, when he moved away from Louisiana, it wasn't going to help him get a job. It, so. In the second Kingsman movie because it takes place in Kentucky. You can kind of hear some of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I need to get on there. That's another movie we got to review. Yeah, Woo! we do. Kingsman 2. Oh, oh boy. I love Kingsman. <sighs> so good. But uh, uh, for his physical type and the acting he has done up to this point, I just think he's a really weird choice um, for Gambit because I don't see Gambit as this huge muscled out you know baby faced you know kind of man child <laughs> that he's <laughs> that he's currently kind of typecast as you know yeah it just seems like a really weird decision um to have channing tatum as gambit and it, another weird decision for fox to still be you know pursuing funding this movie even as they talk you know behind doors with disney about selling their studios to disney you know yeah this is the the type of thing that i could see this being one of the last of the movies that if disney decides to actually buy the the specifically the parts of fox that own the parts of marvel that they want to get back uh i could see this as being one of the last of the just Fox X-Men movies. Yeah. Um, with that said, there's something about Channing Tatum that, no matter again, no matter how good he is in other things, 
There's just something about him that rubs me, as you were saying, the wrong way about playing this character. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that kind of rubs me the wrong way about it is that this is a passion project for him. And when it comes to passion projects, either you take your time and you do really good, or instead of taking your time and doing really good, you get met with a bunch of roadblocks that should be signs that maybe you should be approaching this from a different angle or doing this a different way. Hence, Nick Cage trying to play Superman. Oh. Uh, with his balding head and mullet and all. <laughs> I was going to say, hence Nick Cage actually playing Ghost Rider. All of the previous things mentioned included. Yeah, I don't think Ghost Rider was as bad as people make it out to be, though. Uh, you want to go back and watch that movie? <laughs> I've watched it. I, I watched The first and second one, both. Uh, I mean, it's it's not like a fantastic superhero movie, but it was fine. <laughs> I watch it over Thor Ragnarok, probably. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I would love to talk about those movies and just Nick Cage <laughs> at length because the but, character yeah. is appropriate. The character is, you know, this aging stunt driver, you know, that who's kind of nuts. Who's kind of insane and stupid and nuts, you know. I, I who mean, gains if, these powers through, you know, obvious situations if you know the character. But so it was believable up to that point. And it, like, no, the writing wasn't great. The Nick Cage was Nick Cage. So, yeah, there's that, which I don't mind because I enjoy the Nick Cage isms, even oh, yeah. when they're done terribly for comedic effect, uh, of um, which there are many. Nick Cage has a lot of isms. But with Superman in particular, where he's this ultra perfect and vulnerable alien that's, you know, jacked and stuff. You got this skinny, middle aged, balding guy with long, <laughs> ridiculous, long hippie hair. Yeah. Who was going to be Superman and with this low cut, like Superman <laughs> shirt and cape. Yeah. And it was just so weird looking. If you oh. haven't seen that documentary, Oh, I've seen it. You you and need to see it. It 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 didn't help that that suit was very very shiny plastic looking. It, yeah. it was like things that I don't want to see on Nick Cage. But um, yeah, I kind of see Channing Tatum in that kind of light right now. Again, I could be pr- proven completely wrong. You know, yeah, he might be completely great at the role, but I just what he's typecast as and what he looks like and how he, his mannerisms and stuff. It just, it just seems so weird. And I feel like even though he does the accent well, because it's his natural accent, he's been doing the typical Midwest California dialect for so long that it might seem a bit weird to actually see him do straight up like Cajun. Yeah. Which, and it'll be alienating, you know, for that first half of the movie or whatever. Yeah, which uh, for any and all of you watching, look up a video of someone actually speaking yet or any form of the the Cajun dialect of English. And please, please tell me whether or not that that's something that you actually want to hear in a movie. Because I've listened to it and I I don't know how it's going to work. 
I, like I, I don't it. know. How... I like it in the proper context, but I think it'll be very hard to understand sometimes. Yeah, I especially liter- if they lay it on thick, you know. Uh, yeah, I literally don't know how they're going to pass off like actual Cajun without subtitles in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which I swear to God, if they actually go the subtitle ra- route, I will laugh my fucking ass off. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, you know he's gonna speak French eventually. Uh, uh, he'll he'll speak broken French, <laughs> <laughs> which that's fine. Uh, the gamut from the comic books and the the cartoons that that was his thing. Yeah, like he would randomly intersperse French into his English, which was fine. So I have a question for you, and I have my own answer here. Of course. Who do you think should play Gambit as of right now? Now, my opinion would be it would be a character who does not have a long history of movies behind him. You know, somebody it could be either a new guy or an up and comer. My nomination would be the actor that plays Poe Dameron in the Star Wars movies now. Oh, um, I'm forgetting his yeah, name. Yeah, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I feel like he looks the part. And he could probably play the part based on what I've seen from that first Star Wars movie. Uh, I, I would agree with you. The The only problem, though, is that he already played Apocalypse. Which, mind you, people... Nobody pro- would recognize him, oh, though. Yeah, like, he w- it was so rapey, though. <laughs> 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 he had so many prosthetics and makeup, and yeah, he was unrecognizable. Like, I think yeah, he could if very... If he took all of that off of him... You could probably get him to do a decent gambit. Yeah. Um, I mean, he fits the tall, dark, handsome look, you know? Yeah. He seems like a good enough actor to pull it off very well, you know? Yeah. I could see him in kind of a lighthearted, you know, heist movie with Gambit. My pick's going to be a little weird. Uh Uh-oh. If we had a younger Bradley Cooper... (laughs) keyword younger (laughs) i don't think that's gonna happen too soon yeah uh, because we can't go back in time (laughs) actually i take that back marvel really knows how to de-age people that aside as a Uh, he's also rocket raccoon that's true granted that's just the voice but yeah he has he has the face for it (laughs) <laughs> he he really has the face for that. And also the uh long history of doing very weird roles. I feel like acting wise he'd be fine, but he's so white. <laughs> 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 like he's got blonde hair, he's got bright blue eyes, you know, he's his, his super hair's pale. Brown. Uh it's like sandy brown. It's like a light sandy brown. Eh. Kind of like my hair, uh, but lighter. <laughs> I just you're you're not wrong. He he did have blonde hair once. He doesn't like fit the typical Creole mix look, you know. You're Gambit, not wrong. Gambit has always been the kind of dark, tall, dark, handsome, mysterious, you know. Right, a French guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the thing that we need is. Apart from him, I would push for a relative unknown. Yeah, that that would probably be the best option and cheapest option, especially if you're not going to maintain these Fox universes after 2019 or 2020. Yeah. Um, like, and here's the thing with that. Uh, I would actually have Channing Tatum 
direct this movie. I, I would have this be... Really? Yeah. It's like he is so passionate about this movie that I think it would be best if he oversaw the production of the movie as opposed to starring in it. Yeah. I will tell you what I think Bradley Cooper would be perfect for and needs to do before he gets too old. Was that? Is uh, Nathan Drake from the Uncharted series. Oh, my God. They were rumored to be trying to make a movie for it. And I think that movie would be amazing if they had Bradley Cooper as Nathan Drake because he looks just like the the character. If you take Bradley Cooper and have him do, like, you know, a low fade, you know, cut. Yeah. (laughs) He would look exactly like Nathan Drake. Yeah. In my my opinion. Yeah. And he, he... he knows how to play that part yeah. too. Oh, Have yeah. Harrison Ford as uh, it's Sully. Sully. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Give Harrison Ford a nice mustache. He would be perfect. Oh my God! I'm uh, seeing this movie in my mind already. And you know, it would be a perfect homage to, like, <laughs> you know, Indiana Jones, because that's essentially what Drake is. You know? Oh yeah, this like he's modern Indiana Jones with, uh, you know. Basically, Indiana Jones is his dad. Yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, I think that would be a perfect match. I oh, I, I I need that movie in my life. But of course, we know Hollywood doesn't know how to do video game movies whatsoever, so <sighs> they'd probably fuck it up. So <laughs> new. I don't upco- think it's that hard. New upcoming Tomb Raider movie. I'm looking at you. <sighs> so worried. That movie's gonna be so dumb. <laughs> yeah, t- we saw the preview for it at, during the Justice League movie. Yeah, I was not impressed. I w- I was into it at first, but then they started showing a lot of things. I was like, oh, what? Are, what? Are you, that's stupid. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's unnecessary. Uh, and not just that, but the the acting seemed so basic. Yeah, it, it seems like, a little forced. It was like this is the kind of thing. It's like if you want us to take this seriously, you need to take this seriously. Yeah. I don't know. They just I don't know why Hollywood can't make a competent video game movie. It's not, it's it's not like that it's, hard. It's I don't literally like right they, in they, front of them. They always like overcomplicate things. Like they right. add a bunch of elements to the story that aren't there in the games and just like don't make any sense whatsoever. Like the Assassin's Creed movie, for example. It, like the Assassin's Creed movie should be shining in the past. Like that should be the majority of the movie is the adventure through the past. But instead yeah. they added this whole like big animated machine <laughs> so he could jump around in CG in a room in a you know, a hospital outfit and like the majority of the movie is in the hospital and not in the past where the movie shines, you know? Yeah. Also it's, they have such a big ticket name, you know? Yeah. And they, they just <laughs> they just squandered the scripts in the production, you know. Right. It's so silly. It was it was so easy to yep. make that movie. They literally the first uh, th- video game th- literally gives you everything you need. Yeah, everything, literally everything. And instead of doing that, they're like, "Nah, we're gonna do a lot of current day stuff." Why? <laughs> it's just so stupid. Why? The, the first three <laughs> games, the main games, give you everything you need. The first game in particular gives you a script. Like <laughs> they literally lay out exactly what you should do. Just yeah. copy the first game, and you have a perfect setup for a trilogy. Yeah. You know? Like it's it's not that oh hard God. to figure out. It just, uh, it just. Why are they so 
dumb. It's just all these franchises, they just <sighs> Hitman. They keep trying to make Hitman movies and just doing stump <laughs> stupid things with them, so they can't <laughs> It hurts. Uh, it's just it's, they're always so close. They get the look right sometimes. They get really good actors for the roles sometimes, you know. But, but the they, story the, is the story always, always dumb. stumbles and fucks up and the lines are always <laughs> terrible and like they try to add like all these goofy homages to the video game that are just totally out of place and ruin the movie, you know. It's like the closest thing to like being an okay one I thought was the Prince of Persia movie. I didn't see it. Again, it was a video game movie. I was just like, I can't deal with another one of these fucking things. I love Prince of Persia. I can't deal with this <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyed it's like, fucking I, Prince of Persia I, I, running around. I, I'm going to say, it's like, Prince of Persia. It's okay. <laughs> it, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. I did yeah. not like it. <laughs> okay. Batman to Superman. I don't not like you. I like, twirl my fucking hair Talk trying about, to get yeah. your attention. Talk about more terrible movies. <sighs> C.B. Sibulski <clears throat> has taken over as chief editor for Marvel Comics following the departure of Axel Alonso, who was with Marvel for 17 years. Sibulski is known for his work on Marvel fairy tales and loners and not a whole lot else. So this was a confusing move to me. Um... Again, Axel Alonso, long established history with Marvel, was with them for 17 years. Sobolski was apparently in China for the past two years. Sobolski has not had a real big credit to his name in about seven, eight years. Um, and the stuff he has done wasn't like spectacular or anything, you know? Here's my biggest question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? It just seems. Why this guy? It just seems like such a weird choice, and uh, I get, I get. He literally hasn't had a project for eight fucking years. I get from what his record says is that he's basically been kind of managing the Asian branch of Marvel, and kind of like pushing probably the anime series and stuff like that, and like. You know, X Men and throughout Asia or whatever. So he probably has some kind of management credit that's really, really gave them confidence to hire him to chief editor. Yeah, but it it just seems like such a weird, out of nowhere choice. Yeah, chief editor. You know, it's like usually Um, when you have someone move up to editor in chief, like in the case of Joe Quesada, he's been working like this. The person that you would want would be the person who's been working on the comics I mean, you look, most recently for like several years yeah. and knows what works and what doesn't. I mean, you look at DC Comics with Dan Didio and uh, Jeff Johns as like the lead creative roles and editors yeah. um, for DC Comics. And because they are established writers, artists, you know, whatever you want to say, they have a legacy and a respect in the company, you know, and they have an authority that even if they weren't the chief people in charge, they would still have that elite authority within the company. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And they've made a lot of great choices that reflect that, such as the price reductions, the two issues of the main lines, um, uh, the um, finally putting some of the barcodes on the back, <laughs> you know, small things like that. And they still have some work to do, but yeah. overall... They made a good decision <laughs> with this guy, Sobolski. I'm like, this guy, 
you know, he's he hasn't even been in the United States for the past two years, and you're promoting him to chief editor in New York, you know? Like, he's <sighs> going to have to command authority, um, you know, amongst the employees and command respect amongst these employees who are probably more established and more senior <laughs> yeah. to him and have more established, you know, legacy within the company. It, seems... it just seems like a really out there strange decision. Yeah, I, I don't know how they came to that decision, but it seems like a weird sidestep that I can't be sure that it's going to work out because I, apart from like that one thing, X-Men fairy tales that I read yeah. a long time ago, yeah, like I, I have no semblance of what kind of writing he's going to be allowing or disallowing or what have you. It was like, I don't know what to expect from him. Yeah. It just seems like a really weird decision. Uh, I wish him the best. I hope, I hope he does a great job. And I, yeah. you know, obviously they have confidence in, in him for some reason. So he's obviously doing something right behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. So, um, especially when you look at, <laughs> one of the previous lead editors at DC who just got fired for uh, oh. HR problems not being addressed for years and years and years. Yeah. Uh, at least on the Marvel side, it was a very you know, positive departure <laughs> yeah. for Alonzo and a positive you know, installment of Sobolski. So good luck to you. Congratulations. Thank you, Alonzo, for all the work you've done for us, entertaining us comic fans for so long. And I hope you don't disappear completely. I hope you do some creative stuff. And yeah, stick that, around I, for a little I, while. I would love to see Axel do an indie comic. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they would do it for Icon. Yeah. Probably. Seems like it would be the most appropriate place. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, episode three of AMC's Secret History of Comics uh, from Kirkman. Uh, has premiered and we watched it yeah we did this episode was about um the creators of superman um siegel and schuster and kind of their conflict with dc yeah for years and years and years because of a bad contract they signed ceding all the rights to superman at the beginning of their careers um I thought this so far was the best episode of the three we've watched so far. Um, I thought it was the least sensationalist and the, you know, it had the least amount of inserting people that were inappropriate for the story and inappropriate for what was going on, you know? Yeah. Like, we didn't have Rodriguez in there (laughs) (laughs) talking about Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, you know? Uh, like she was there or something. We didn't have these weird, creepy people talking about bondage <laughs> in the twenties <laughs> and thirties, you know, for the Wonder Woman episode, and just yeah, I I love this episode, and I thought it was really cool in particular that they had Neil Adams on there talking about how yeah he got the letter from uh, I believe it was Schuster, right? Um, yeah, I think it was Schuster, definitely Schuster. I think Schuster sent him a letter talking about what had happened and how you know. He and Siegel had gotten pretty much screwed over and their careers completely ruined, you know. And Neil Adams got together with writers and artists from DC Comics and got enough support going that they managed to finally right a lot of the wrongs that happened to the, the creators. For those of you unfamiliar with what happened to Siegel and Schuster, 
Um, prior to Superman, there weren't really superheroes. Most stories were like a detective, you know, or some kind of, uh, you know, space guy. Running Flash around. Gordon. Flash Gordon. Flash! Flash. <laughs> ah! Savior of the universe! <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Get some uh, queen in there for you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, this was... This story was heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, but basically, these guys, they created the first you know, real superhero, Superman, for Action Comics, which was owned by DC. And... Uh, you know, they were broke kids that were just trying to make a living doing comic strips and stuff prior to this. Yeah. And DC liked the idea where, you know, their sales were, you know, suffering greatly just because it was so stagnant and dry and boring, you know, and kids weren't really gravitating towards these books. And uh, they decided that Superman was the best bet to go forward. And they sent them a contract saying, Basically, in exchange for your pay and being hired to write the stories and do the art for us, and or at the very least direct the art once it became successful, as they demonstrated, um, we'll pay you this this much, you know, as your salary and as your bonus, which was, it was like one hundred and eighty dollars or one hundred thirty dollars, something like that. Yeah, um, in the nineteen thirties. And um, you know, still this, wasn't much back then. St- you got to remember, this is you know. Um, depression time. So yeah, that's pretty good. You know, you're you're not uh, doing uh, too bad at that time. Yeah, you're um, you're you're making it. You're surviving. But basically, these wonderful creators that are responsible for superheroes in general proliferating the market and becoming a thing and probably saving the comic book industry. You know, oh, there yeah. wouldn't be a Batman. There wouldn't be a Wonder Woman. There wouldn't be a Spider-Man or X-Men or, you know, all of these yeah. things probably wouldn't exist without these two guys. Oh yeah. Um, no, the, from the, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which they kind of shit on in the documentary. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, they did. But, uh, it was really, really sad because they they worked there. They were, you know, they loved their jobs. They they did a great job working with Superman and pushing out all these books for DC, which was having record sales and selling millions upon millions of comics thanks to this brand new superhero. And then World War II broke out. Um, the writer went off to war while the artist, because of his eyes, stayed home because uh, he couldn't get drafted in and he couldn't go into service. And once the war was over, they came back and found themselves in a place where, you know, Superman was blowing up. It had blown up into a giant cartoon series and uh, live action TV series. And DC was just raking in all of the cash and giving them basically no credit for their work. Yeah. And like if not is... paying them very much out of that wasn't enough. Yeah. They, they didn't even, at least until like a a long time down the line mm. from like from the thirties. Like it, it was a long time before they actually got like credit. Like yeah. their their names actually attached to Superman. Consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Um so the, the, they end up trying to uh get some of their respective rights back legally and they sue DC, which 
hindsight was probably not the best way to go about it because DC was their employer, their right. chief and only employer at the time. And obviously, you don't keep your job if you sue your <laughs> your company, usually. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, which... Especially in the 40s. Yeah, the uh, sad fact of the matter there was these were poor people trying to take on a corporation. Yeah, and the court ruled that, sorry, legally, you signed away all your rights to this character. Yeah. And they disagreed with how DC was using the character's name to create characters like Superboy, which was nothing like their intent. And um, they lost their jobs. Yeah. They, they tried to start up a new comic called Funny Man, which is horrendous, <laughs> if you've ever seen it. <laughs> um, that That bombed, you know, and basically made it so they couldn't even work in the industry anymore. Yeah. And it gets to a point, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s where they are literally working dead-end jobs. The writer's working at as a mailman, you know, <laughs> in Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, the artist was delivering packages, you know, as a delivery boy, you know, and in, oh, into yeah. his 50s and, you know. And... Thankfully, after the writer worked up the nerve to start writing letters and telling publications in response to the Christopher Reeve Superman movie being announced, he got a bunch of people on his side, including people in Hollywood and including Neil Adams, who is, I would say, the sole proprietor of getting them the credit they deserve and being you know, ambassadors of goodwill towards them. Um, they finally get an agreement from DC without a lawsuit <laughs> where DC agrees, thanks to the hard work of Neil Adams and pressure from the industry, to give them a pension. Uh, Basically uh, a pension. And it was something like twenty to $30,000 a year. Um, a pension and uh, give them credits and all Superman content. Which is great, you know. It's it, it based on how much money DC has made to the to date on the character of Superman, and how much you know the comic industry as a whole owes <laughs> to them and yeah. their character of Superman. Um, it seems like a pittance. It seems like nothing. And obviously their kids agree because their kids were still suing them <laughs> up until 2013, trying to get more rights and more money from DC. A and I think this is probably a really good word for basically the equivalent of what they ended up with yeah. at this point. And um, unfortunately, these these two creators that created the most iconic superhero of all time and the, probably the most important superhero or comic character of all time, you know, ended up living in squalor for the majority of their life, you know, and working dead-end jobs and, you know, contract work, writing, and, you know, even had to suffer the indignity of putting their tail between their legs and going back to D.C. after losing a lawsuit to them and trying to <sighs> have some semblance of employment, you know, yeah, because they were starving. And it, it stayed like this all the way up until that Reeve movie. And even after, you know, they did get something, but it wasn't necessarily a whole lot for the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars DC has made on Superman yeah. for the past hundred years or so, you know. 
um, 75 plus years. It's just, <laughs> it's it it's hurt. a it's a crazy sad story, you know. Yeah, it, and both have passed away now. But it's it's just, yeah, it was a bummer of an episode. Yeah, uh, like, I highly recommend you watch it so you have a greater appreciation for <laughs> the art we enjoy. You know. Oh yeah, this is like for a character who's supposed to inspire hope that. The birth of that character came out of a really, really dark time. Yeah. And you you notice a lot of the parallels with the Jack Kirby story and yeah. how he was treated by Marvel and, you know, previously Atlas Comics, you know. So it's it's not just an exclusive, you know, DC thing or an exclusive Marvel thing. It's, you know, across the industry. And I think that's why a lot of artists and creators like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane left yeah. and went to pursue their own, you know, business because mm. they recognized how shitty the industry was to its creators specifically the artists but oh, all, yeah but also in a lesser extent the writers you know stanley probably being the one exception <laughs> <laughs> excelsior <laughs> behold true believers <laughs> and that my friends is the news well what books are we going to be hitting up this week? Well, Emery, I thought you'd never ask. We don't have a lot this week. It seems this is annual week for DC, and IDW has the greatest number of releases, which is very unusual. And again, IDW, mostly variant covers, so not going to read them, but yeah, feel free to enjoy those. From Marvel Comics, we have America, number nine, Legacy. Hey, you shut it. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this a legacy comic? It's nine issues in. Its entire history is nine issues. That is not deserving of a legacy issue. Every time I hear it, it's going to make me mad. Every time. So silly. God, America number nine. Legacy. We have Dark Hawk number 51. Legacy. Legacy. Why? We have Jean Grey, number nine. Legacy. Legacy. Oh, come on. This is only her first solo. (laughs) We have Moon Knight, number 189. Legacy. Legacy. All right. We have Old Man Logan, number 31. Legacy. Legacy. Oh, come on. We have Secret Warriors, number nine. Legacy. Legacy. What the... (laughs) We have Spider-Gwen, number 26. Legacy. Legacy. Shut the... Ooh. Mm. We have Star Wars, Jedi of the Republic, Mace Windu, number four. Too long. nerds and their long-ass Star Wars titles. We have Star Wars, Poe Dameron, a.k.a. my desired gambit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Number 21. We have U.S. Avengers, number 12, Legacy. Legacy. Mother... You don't deserve it. We have Venom, number 158. We have... Oh, come on. That one That one isn't a Legacy title. <laughs> they had a Legacy title like oh, two weeks ago, though. So. <laughs> Make up your mind, Marvel. We have X-Men Blue, number 16. And that wraps up our Marvel releases. Now, something to note about the Marvel releases this week and last week, it's a lot of those transition 
holographic covers. Yeah. So if that's not your taste, you probably want to go digital. But um, you know, always support your local comic book shops. But they, they're they be aware. It's a lot of those transition covers. Some of them are good. There's a lot of good brightly colored ones. The the more simple they are, the better they look. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Moon Knight cover was a transition cover, and it was not executed very well at all. It looked the the ad on the back of the cover was a better transition cover oh. than the front of it. So it hurts. You are warned. From Image Comics, we have have. Kill or be killed, number 14. Lazarus, X plus 66, number 5. We have Renato Jones, season 2, number 5. We have Spy Seal, number 4. And that wraps up our image books for the week. From Dynamite Entertainment. We have Justice Inc. Faces of Justice, number four. Justice. (laughs) For great justice. (laughs) We have from DC Comics, Aquaman Annual, number one. We have Batman Annual, number two. We have Batman, Creature of the Night, number one. We have... Dark Days, The Forge and the Casting, number one, Director's Cut. We have... Wait, Director's Cut? (sighs) Yep. This is not a... You know what? Let's just keep going. Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) We have Green Arrow, Annual, number one. We have Injustice 2, Annual, number one. It's weird. Injustice getting an annual book. Yeah, that's weird. Um, we have Justice League of America, annual, number one. Lobo, as a member of the Justice League, is ridiculous. Please stop it. Yeah, if anything, he would be taking the entire Justice League for the sake of a bounty. That That's that's what he would do. Especially as a member of the Justice League of America. <laughs> this guy is basically an intergalactic and vulnerable god. <laughs> bounty what? hunter. Why would he? He's a, yeah, he's a bounty hunter, but he's also like invulnerable. It, <laughs> Basically, it, he can beat Superman. Like <laughs> that's pretty invulnerable. It's pretty godlike to me. He he can regrow himself from blood cells, and he's part of the Justice League. Not just the Justice League of, of America. America? Oh. Of all things, just seems so stupid. All right, uh, I guess. We have Mystic U, number one, which looks like it's going to be DC's version of Hogwarts, led by Zatanna. We have New Talent Showcase, number one. Uh, We have Super Suns Annual, number one. And that wraps up DC Comics. From Boom Studios, we have Hi-Fi Fight Club, number four. We have Labyrinth, 2017 special, Number one. Yes, that labyrinth. Aww. From Lion Forge Comics, we have Catalyst Prime, Kino, number one. From Oni Press, we have Heartthrob, season two, number five. We have Carjamax, season three, number five. We have Knight's Dominion, season two, number four. We have Rick and Morty, number 32. 
From Dark Horse Comics, we have BPRD, The Devil You Know, number four. Ooh. From Scout Comics, we have Graveland, number three. We have Heavenly Blues, number five. And we have Solar Flare, season two, number two. From Aftershock Comics, we have Dark Arc, number three. And Fujitsu, number three. From Archie Comics, we have Archie Comics Double Digest, number 284. And that short list wraps up everything coming to your local comic book shops. Please support your local comic book shops. And digital devices this week. Now it's time to hand out the prestigious, nay life-changing award of cover and variant cover of the week. (sighs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, get it. <laughs> okay, Um. well, what do we have for our original cover of the week? Now, to be honest, this week, obviously, not a lot of volume to pick from. And You're not wrong. Quite frankly, the variants weren't much better either, <laughs> even though they had the volume, thanks to typically IDW, but they weren't very good. So, this week... Not the greatest week for variants or regular covers. Um, it's a very, very light week, and I'm guessing <clears throat> it's just because after Thanksgiving sales dip a bit or whatever, and the holidays are coming around, so everybody's taking vacations, so they they write these stories ahead of time and send them off. And yeah, yeah, good enough. <laughs> like yeah, well they'll they'll pick it up. Yeah. So keep that in the back of your mind as we read these awards. Still great artwork. Still respectable. Not the best, <laughs> right? Especially it, in previous weeks, we've had some pretty good ones in recent weeks. Yeah, not not particularly like super wow, but still good. For our regular cover of the week, we have Batman Annual Number Two, cover illustrated by Lee Weeks. Now, this cover, uh, I ordered this cover primarily because of the angle. It's taken. From a perspective of, say, like um, somebody peeking around the corner at some superheroes having a big battle and duking it out, you know, you can imagine like somebody hiding behind a wall and looking, you know, across. And that's the kind of perspective you get from this image where you see Batman and Catwoman bursting out through a window, you know, glass shattering everywhere and, you know, falling through the sky with the city in the background and stuff, you know. Yeah. It's, It's a pretty cool cover and i think it stands out more than the other options this week now remember when this hits store shelves it's probably going to have the giant rebirth banner at the top which eats up half the cover yeah so that's my biggest gripe with dc right now is that giant rebirth banner um pretty problematic for the just looking at the art yeah but otherwise very cool cover great artwork i will say this (laughs) Every time you say Batman Annual, I keep my brain keeps shortening it to Batmanual. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go a much dirtier route with that. Oh, Batman Anal. Oh no, starring Batman and Catwoman. Oh no, meow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when in Rome, <laughs> when in Rome, protect your butt. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, like early 2000s version of that show, The Tick. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know Batmanuel, <laughs> or as he liked to be called, Batmanuel. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, cover of the week, Lee Weeks. Look forward to us uh, telling you whether the content matches the drapes from writer Tom King, who we praise relentlessly oh, for yeah. his work on Mr. Miracle. Yeah. And I personally criticize him greatly for using Nightwing as a secret spy, <laughs> even though the book was good. But Nightwing was not the character to use. Oh, Grayson. Ugh. Interesting concept, wrong character to use for it. Yeah, absolutely. And our award for variant cover of the week goes Ooh. to. <sighs> Woo! Oh man, here it comes. Uh, <laughs> the variant cover of the week goes to Images Spawn number 280, done by Jason Sean Alexander and Denora Walcott. Ooh. And this. This spawn cover has a very kind of uh, strange, like watercolor paint vibe to it, where it's it's got the kind of brooding typical spawn with the high cape, and then the cape blowing out behind him is filled with different images of what looks like you know a face, and then some demons, and it's just cool how they integrated the the color and the cape, yeah. and, and made these images within the cape. Um, without having the typical just penciled in shadows or whatever. Yeah, it's a cool concept. Like just having basically something play out along a silhouette of Spawn. Absolutely. And if nothing else, it's unique. It's a unique idea and it looks pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, It really does. It kind of looks like uh, you ever see those like viral videos where they have the painters using their fingers and like smearing like images on the you know like tiles and stuff like that yeah that's what it reminds me of it looks like those tile like paintings that you know artists use their fingers and like their nails to to paint oh interesting that's what it reminds me of but very cool aesthetic and obviously spawns cool looking character to begin with so oh yeah thank uh, you todd mcfarlane for coming up with that always a fun design always a cool design <laughs> and remember to check out our segment next week did the content match the drapes when we evaluate Jason Sean Alexander and Dara, a drag. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Irish. Probably has a weird Gaelic pronunciation. Darog. <laughs> Savage. Uh, great cover from Jason Sean Alexander and Denora Walcott. All right. For our new friends out there, this is the part of the show where we each discuss the topic of our choosing about the world of comics. We realize this has been a really long show so far. Thanks for sticking <laughs> with us. I promise you, it'll be worth it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're worth the wait. So, Emery, what's your topic? My topic tonight is going to be the advantages and disadvantages of having a pull list at your local comic book store. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you have some personal experience with that. I'll probably be doing an instructional video about pull us in general oh yeah in the not too distant future in the not too distant future <laughs> but i i have had pull lists in the past but i don't have one right now and i probably won't have one for the rest of my comic book experience <laughs> um 
there's there's certain advantages to having a pull list for sure great advantages but if you're not a very specific type of person i don't think pull lists are for for you you know yeah uh i myself don't have a pull list currently mm-hmm. i used to have one but i found uh what were things you typically had on your pull list uh i would have ghost rider Spider-Man back when it was good. Uh, <laughs> well, there's a few. To be fair, there's some good Spider-Man books right now. Okay. Just not the main one. Right. Renew Your Vows is great. Everything else could do with some work. <laughs> <laughs> At, uh, yeah, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man, Venom, when he had his own series. Yeah. X-Men, of course. Um I would occasionally go into uh, DC territory with uh, things like uh, Nightwing, Teen Titans, Superman. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's another title. I don't think I had a pull list back when they originally released uh, 52, Hmm. which... Would have been the most convenient. <laughs> it would have been the most convenient, but yeah. also probably the most expensive. Oh yeah, for sure. Because like that was a weekly it's a lot comic. of issues. Same with Future's End and yeah. um, oh Batman Eternal. Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of issues. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those who are not aware of what a pull list is, this is where you make sign an agreement with your comic shop owner. Usually they give you some kind of contract outlying what they're responsible for, what you're responsible for and the conditions. Uh, you basically make a, a short term contract deal, uh, to always buy a set of comic books. So every month, the minimum that the comic store owner is going to order from the comic book publishers is the pulls. And then usually they, 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 I don't know the exact numbers, but they probably take like three times or two times as many as the pools in addition. And that's how they estimate how many to purchase yeah. um, for sale at their store. Um, and it helps them out cause it helps them plan. It helps them, uh, you know, not have too much back stock and wasting too many resources on these comics that aren't going to sell and things like that. Um, but usually there's a minimum number of series. So like you can't just have a pool for one book or two books to actually get the benefit out of it, to get the discount. They usually require you to get like six, seven, eight different series in your pool list. Um, which can add up, and sometimes you just frankly don't want that many of the right. same issue every month. Um, for me personally, I don't do the pull list, um, even though I buy a ton of comics. It would be great to have that. It would be great to have a discount like that, but unfortunately, I'm so sporadic as a reader that it doesn't benefit me. And I'm just going to get all these comics and they're just going to fall into a backlog. And if I pick a series I don't like, I'm going to be really angry at myself because now I'm locked into the series for so many weeks or months, you know? Yeah. Um, and sure, you can change it. But again, you're taking another risk, you know, and you don't know and you don't want to get too far behind the cycle. Yeah. Um, 
And quite frankly, I don't always have the money to buy comics, you know. <laughs> you know, I can go in there every week and pay for my pool and whatever else and get my even with my discount, you know. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> when you have a minimum of that many series in addition to whatever else you're buying, like number ones and testing out new series like I do, um, it adds up real quick. Yeah. And you can be spending forty, fifty, sixty dollars a week, you know. Just um, on comics. Just on comic books and you know, for a person that's not very financially comfortable that's that's a lot for <laughs> comics you know just these yeah. short stories you know and pieces of art and I, you know i love comics and i i do think they're worth what we pay for them usually but um that comes with an asterisk because yeah <laughs> it is very expensive it's a very expensive hobby uh in the long run so uh you know, people out there, if if you have very specific series that you always want to follow no matter what, your best interest is to sign that contract with your comic owner and get a pool. And that way you can always guarantee that your comics won't be damaged because they don't go out on the shelf. They literally set it aside for you uh, when it arrives at the store. So you don't have to worry about damage from customers handling it. Uh, you don't have to worry about uh, it being sold out before you get there. Because they'll literally hold it for you the whole week. Um, you get your discount, usually like 5, 10, 20%, somewhere in that range. Uh, and usually it helps you have a closer relationship with the staff and stuff because obviously they got your pull list and they call you by name. And they, you know, you know my comic book store owners know my name just because I'm always there. Yeah. <laughs> and I spend a lot of money at their stores and chat about the Bengals and stuff. But. Uh, generally speaking, comic shop owners uh, probably won't know your name, especially if you come there like once a month or something to get all the issues, you know. Um, yeah. Not exactly, you know, cheers yeah. or anything. So there are those benefits, and then every once in a while they'll give you special amenities. Like if they have an event, they'll give you like first dibs on, you know, whatever event or whatever variants, you know. They'll be like, oh, we got this one in 500 variant cover you guys got the first shots at it you know we'll let you have an exclusive access to it for a week to see if you want it and then if you don't want it we'll put it out to the greater public or whatever so little small benefits like that happen from time to time too so there are a lot of great benefits for it but again you're signing this agreement agreeing to pay for these same issues week to week to week and it's you know usually you have to have an advance notice of like three months to change one of them you're you know yeah because they it's definitely a drawback because they order all the all of these comics way ahead of time you know it takes a long time to get the shipment orders and get them out to the stores and stuff i i was talking to the owner of uh world's greatest comics in westerville just north of columbus uh about two or three years ago i think and he was telling me yeah you know it takes a long time to you know get everything predicted and planned for and accounted for you know so usually if we don't have that like three two three months notice you know you're just kind of screwed <laughs> you're gonna have to just deal with having these comics that you don't want to pay for you know yeah in order to keep your discount and keep your benefits and keep your pool you know otherwise you're off the pool and your contract's in bad so that's the downside of it um, and like I said, I am far too sporadic a reader. I don't like reading the same series, 
you know, especially if I, you know, I've tested them a few times and didn't like them or like with DC and Marvel, they keep doing these reboots. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Because <laughs> if I had a pool with them and they kept doing these reboots every two or three years, I'd have to reassess every single comic I'm subscribed to because they have brand new writers and a brand new direction and a brand new universe that may suck. And yeah, in every re- reboot, there's you know stars and there's just trash you know <laughs> let's face it it's the truth uh, and that's true for dc rebirth it was true for new 52 and there, it was true before that you know there's there's always going to be great books and you never know which ones they're going to be you know right and usually by the time you figure it out if you have a pool it's too late to change it you know so either pay all the extra money to get the good stuff in addition to the stuff you didn't like or <laughs> <laughs> you know you wait out the three months and miss out on a bunch of content and stuff yeah, uh, I, so, I think another uh, potential drawback, uh, specifically having to do with the uh, comic book distributors on their on their end, uh, sometimes books get canceled. Oh yeah, that's that's a huge issue too. Yeah, and if your book is canceled, now you have to scramble to find another book to fulfill your pool. Otherwise, you're <laughs> screwed. You lose your discount and everything. Yeah. So yeah, there's and of course I'm painting a very cynic. Cynical. C- cynical, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm painting a very cynical picture here uh, <clears throat> that usually your comic shop owners want your business and want good relationships. They're not going to screw you over just to screw you over. You oh, know? yeah. They're, uh, like, they they don't want to make you upset or angry because something got canceled or whatever else, you know? Right. Uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure so they'll, they they'll usually, use... like, call you. Yeah, they'll work yeah. with you for yeah. sure. They won't. <laughs> they won't just leave you hanging if they're any kind of respectable business, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but like I said, there's, it's always random. Like with New Fifty Two, New Fifty Two, people gave a lot of crap to because there were some bad books and bad interpretations. Where they, they you know, to be fair, they were trying something new. They're right. testing the waters for a new universe where yeah. you didn't have all of these six hundred bat characters, you know, like <laughs> spoiler and like six <laughs> bat girls and you know, Batwing and all these things. They were they were um, testing the waters with trying new things with yeah. what's honestly a pretty dated mythos. So it, I didn't begrudge them at all, but if I had a pool at the time. I would have probably had like the typical Batman, Superman, uh, you know, Nightwing, Teen Titans, you know, those Justice League. Those are probably the books I would have had. But with the exception of Batman and the first, you know, story arc of Justice League that focused on Aquaman, I would have missed out on the best books of the <laughs> the reboot and I would have had several of the worst books of the reboot, you know. Uh, Superman was a very, very weak comic in the DC reboot. Uh, Action action Comics was good, but Superman itself was a very weak and kind of crap book, Um, especially if you had a love of the previous version of Superman to any length, you know, and you had this weird romantic relationship with Wonder Woman, which was just really out of left field, which is like Batman's nightmare, (laughs) (laughs) the two most powerful beings on the planet in a relationship. Um, but again, they were trying something new, so I don't begrudge them, but if I was a pool owner, this would drive me crazy because now I'm locked in to these bad books when there's 
awesome books right next to it. You right. know, their Animal Man was fantastic. Swamp Thing was oh, amazing, and yeah. nobody saw those coming. Those were completely out of left field. Great books. Aquaman. Aquaman had no right <laughs> being one of the best books in the reboot. Uh, Justice League International. You know, another book that was fantastic you know yeah and a lot of people probably missed out on especially if they were a pool customer um green lantern um not the uh regular line uh the is kyle rayner line is the the new guardians uh, new guardians yeah yeah new guardians was awesome but oh if yeah but if I you were I have that whole run if you were a typical pool customer you probably did not enjoy the regular Green Lantern book with Hal Jordan, you know, <laughs> and eventually Simon Baz. Like they were very weak in comparison to New Guardians, which was a, a an awesome book. Oh yeah. Um, so with every reboot that Marvel and DC does, uh, I I would imagine pull customers probably decrease more and more because they keep getting screwed over in these deals <laughs> where they're missing out on the best books that are being offered, you know. Uh, Batgirl from, you know, Gail Simone, uh, bringing back Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. You know, I'm sure a lot of people were locked into other books, you know, because they didn't like the, you know, the 600 different versions of Batgirl (laughs) that were wearing the mantle at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, But then when they brought Barbara Gordon in, you know, they didn't have the three months advance probably. And now, again, you get preview issues and stuff. You know, every time you go to the comic store, they give you a little preview issue or something, you know, and you can check comic news. So you have a warning, but if you're somebody that just goes in there once a month, picks up your pools and leaves and you just don't, you don't pay attention to that stuff, you get screwed over, you know? Yeah. There could be a ton that you're missing out on. Yeah. And because of like kind of being tunnel visioned, I guess, into the pool. And again, any kind of reviews or media analysis of these books doesn't come until the week of the release, you know? Uh, yeah. If it comes early at all. So <laughs> that is not even close to enough time to predict <laughs> what's going to be good and what's not going to be good and what's going to be worth your pool dollars and what's not. You know, and If you only have so much money and you have this pool of eight different comics and half of them end up being trash yeah. and now you're locked into paying for them and you don't have enough money to get the good books, you know, and the, the good books end up suffering because of it, you know? Yeah. So there... I, I'm being very cynical in this, and because that's how it suits me. It just it, I don't like polls, and uh, I wish there was other options, more flexible options. Comic companies, yeah, you know, businesses could uh, extend to their their frequent customers. You know, I go to Laughing Ogre and I go to World's Greatest Comics all the time, both of them. I'm there every week, if not every other week, um, picking up the latest issues, looking at new number ones. If they had a deal where you know. You agree to buy so many comics every week, and you get the discount. I'd be like right on it, you know, because I know I'm gonna buy a bunch of issues every week. I know I'm probably going to buy between you know three and five issues every week, you know. And if you look at the greater month, that's a lot of comics. That's a lot of money they're making, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's I don't know. It's just a much better system, I think, if they they were a little more flexible. But then the the comic or the the business itself loses the advantage of being able to predict how many they need to order, you know. So yeah, I can which... sympathize with their perspective, where they're giving you this discount, so they have the convenience of knowing roughly how many comics to order, so they don't order too many or too little for demand. Right. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that that uh, in that 
very specific way, uh, that is a way that comic book companies, like down the grapevine, eventually figure out which books are selling and which aren't. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the pros of having a pull list is being able to like act like in the most active way support the books that you like or the books that you think are going to do well that's that's a great point yeah if you have like artists and writers that you know you like and you know you're probably going to gravitate towards their book anyway yeah pulls are great for you because not only can you ensure that you get these books that you know you're probably going to like based on the writer and the artist you can also send the message to those companies you know hey i like these writers i like these artists keep using them you know keep paying yeah. them pay them what they deserve to stay in the company because we don't want them getting poached by somebody and <laughs> having <laughs> having their art ruined it within the context of the universe i love you know oh the yeah characters i love so yeah that's a great point that's a great point it's a perfect way to vote with your wallet you know yeah definitely uh, uh I, I think that's uh also a way to not just support the specific books that you want but it is in its own way a way to support your local comic book store because it was just as you were saying earlier uh it is usually through the pull lists that uh they have the most consistent idea as to what's going to sell what mm-hmm. people are looking for and basically the books that they don't need to worry too much about pushing yeah. or having too much stock just sitting on the shelves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You bring up a great point. It's as you can see, there's a lot of pros and cons to this, you know? Oh yeah. And it, 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 it's a lot to be weighed honestly, because this is, the way that the comic book industry works is it revolves a lot around what used to be the subscription that uh, I remember as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I would <laughs> always like look forward to seeing like in a comic, like oh, here's the the new issues that they're that like either Marvel or DC is trying to get people to have directly mailed to them, like yeah. every like month. Or yeah. week, or what have you. Yeah, uh, like an, a magazine subscription. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <clears throat> like, in its own way, like this is basically doing the same thing, but directly through a comic book shop, in yeah. which you are kind of getting the same thing. It's a usually a bit of a drive for most people, but yeah. that's still. It's, it's like imagine having a PO box. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, ba- uh, it's a PO box for with, your comic books with attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. I think there's one other distinct disadvantage it has to the greater like industry. Yeah. Um, anything that's not a Marvel, DC, Valiant, Dark Horse universe where you know the same books are going to be there for years and years and years and months and months and months, uh, and you have those marquee titles that you're pretty sure aren't going to get canceled, Yeah, you have a very clear advantage there. With other things like Image Comics, for example, Image Comics releases a lot of single-shot series. They release limited runs. Yeah, they release a lot of short runs, limited series, single shots, you name it, um, that are 
amazing. High quality, great art, uh, very creative, new directions. Um, you know, and they're not the only one. You know, there's several others that do these sorts of things. Aftershock, for example. Um, but if you're stuck to a pull, you can't really put those comics on your pull because you know you're going to have to sign a new contract and outline new issues for comics that you don't know about, you know, within a few months, you know. Yeah. You say uh, Void Trip, for example. Void Trip, again, I didn't really like it. But if I had, I'm assuming from the premise it's going to be a fairly limited series it's not going to run that long and if i went to my local comic shop and said you know hey laughing ogre can you uh give me a poll for void trip on top of these other seven issues or six issues you know of comics and they go yeah that's great and then it either gets canceled or you know um the book ends a lot sooner than I expect because they don't they don't always tell you how long the run's gonna be you know right uh, so sometimes is you know witches is a perfect example witches by uh, Scott Snyder it was a great book and I loved it and it was produced by Image I'm pretty sure maybe it was Vertigo I think it was Image though um and I got every single issue but I don't think there was that many issues I think there was like eight issues total. And they, d- I had no idea where it was going to end. And then one day I picked up the last issue, and it was the last issue. I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> I didn't expect that, you know. Like, but I, I, yeah, but then I got the whole thing. But then my my pull would be completely screwed up, you know, unless the comic owner or you know the comic shop owner was really on point and had read up on it and saw that, oh, this is going to be the last one, you know, and let you know ahead of time. Yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> you have too few comic pulls, uh, and you're paying the same amount or whatever, you know. Uh, so that hurts not only the person with the pull, but it also hurts the industry because now comic fans are less incentivized to take risks and uh, try out new comics, especially comics that aren't from long-term established universes that they know are going to be around for forever. You know, yeah, I'm sure, you know, invincible or walking dead from it, which would probably be exceptions (laughs) to the rule, of course, (laughs) exceptions that prove the rule, but everything else from image, you know, for example, it's usually about 12 issues long. If that, and that's it. Yeah. You, know, you have a few that go as long as 30 or 40, you know. And some uh, as short as six. Yeah, absolutely. Even shorter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there was one that was like Claws. It came out around cl- Christmas time. It was like this badass, violent Santa <laughs> Claus that I, <laughs> I thought was cool. So I took it. And it was like, um, I don't know, it was like four issues. It wasn't that long, you know. Yeah, that's uh, not very long at all. I, I might be exaggerating. It just might have been when I stopped reading it, but I don't. <laughs> I don't think it ran that long, honestly. Uh, and if I had put that on my pool, you know, three months after the fact, you know, you read the first issue and then you have to wait three months for it to be on your pool or whatever else, you know, not necessarily. They usually work with you, but um, that would really suck yeah. if, if it ended by the time I started getting on my pool, you know, and then I have to evaluate comics again to access my pool. And then I'm less incentivized to take risks and go for those out there comics that aren't the mainstream DC Marvel titles, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's just, a, uh, it's another small, small gripe and observation and disadvantage I would say for pool customers. But like I said, 
I it's just my personal feeling because that's how I purchase and that's how I read. You know, yeah. You might be completely different. You might be locked into one or two characters, and you know you're gonna read them. (laughs) You know, if you're just straightforward a Batman fan and you like nothing but Batman, you're probably gonna pull Batman and Detective Comics and Justice League and you know maybe Batgirl or Batman and Robin that's five right there Nightwing (laughs) like you can get the whole Bat family and only the Bat family and the Bat related appearances and you're good you know only six titles no big deal (laughs) (laughs) so for those characters and those types of books X-Men would be another one yeah get all the X-Men books and X-Men related books and be perfectly happy you know yeah that that's kind of a funny comparison <laughs> uh batman probably takes up about as like batman and the bat family take up about as much of dc space as the x-men <laughs> tend to on uh yeah. a marvel side of yeah. which it seems like they're adding more titles <laughs> yeah yeah it's true so is there anything else you wanted to add to the topic uh, your personal feelings on pools you think you'll ever I- get another one it would have to be a very special occasion. There would have to be like several books that I know were going to go on for a while that yeah. I felt like committing to. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, it's a commitment. Yeah. Like at, like at the end of the day, having a pull list is telling that comic book shop the comic book companies that are printing this, Mm -hmm. that you are committed to buying what they're selling. Yeah. And um, I know I equate it to like pre-ordering games a little bit. You know, you pre-order a video game before the reviews are out and stuff. You get a little hat or something. You (laughs) you get a bonus, you get a discount, whatever the case may be. I think this is the comic book equivalent. Yeah. Um, Especially because you have to buy volume. You have to buy so many. Yeah. If it was like... Oh, if you have a pool of, you know, three titles, we'll give you a 5% discount. If you have a pool of eight titles, we'll give you a 10% discount. If you have a pool of 15 titles, we'll give you a 20% discount or something. I think that would be much more flexible and way more fair and uh, yeah, applicable. Yeah, I think it would be, be more enticing. But when you have it set at like six, seven, eight, which is typical, uh, I think there's just too many. Yeah, to take a risk on to committing to for the long term, for yeah. a lot of people. Which, uh, again, especially if your income much... isn't super stable and it fluctuates or something. Like if you're a small business owner or you run a podcast, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you're it... a student, if you're you know, if you rely on outside income or something, all of these things can be factors, you know, and it's it's probably not the best bet for you, unfortunately. Even though you're probably the person who needs the discount the most, you know. Oh, ironically, yeah, yeah. there are a couple of things like that that kind of make it a little to your disadvantage yeah. to engage in something like that. Yeah. But for those of you who have the disposable income or are just that dedicated to supporting your favorite book or any related books therein, uh, try it. If you don't like it, you can quit. Uh, there, there might be, depending on like where you have your pull list. Yeah. Um, Always read the agreements. Oh yeah. Read the agreements because I haven't come across one personally, but I'm sure there are bad comic stores out there 
that just try to take advantage of you and get you locked into a contract that is very much against your, you know, benefit. Yeah. That if you run into some kind of financial trouble or something along the line that they're going to, you know, come after you or for like, back issues he didn't purchase or whatever. It's like still trying to basically take money that you just can't afford to spend at that moment. Yeah, yeah. So, um, with that, you think we should get into the next topic? What is your typical routine when you go into any comic store? Ah. Who do you talk to? Where do you go? What do you look at first? What do you look at last? Uh, what is it that makes you feel like you had a great visit to a comic store? Ha, ha, ha. Um... Well, I have to say, the first thing that I normally do is I go basically through alphabetical order. Straight to Boundless? (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Action Lab. (laughs) Shh. (laughs) I like titties. (laughs) Give me the comic. I need the boob comic. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Now, I, I wonder I, how much shame <laughs> is involved in going up to the comic store owner that knows you or having a pool, even worse, like, <sighs> signing a pool agreement for Boundless Comics. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absorbing that, that, that shame. That, that's got to be the kind of thing where, especially if the, uh, if the person at the register knows you and then... After having known you at least for a little bit, you then try to very slyly say, um, <laughs> "I want to want to add a comic to my pull list." <laughs> Slide it in the middle of the pile. It, it, it's bound upside down. <laughs> shh, shh, shh! Don't look! Don't look! <laughs> don't Barco- look! Barcode's right there. Don't Just don't look! Don't judge me! Don't judge me! I'm sorry. They got me hooked. I see I like your sad titties. eyes full of pity and disgust. I'm <laughs> sorry. I will never get to be the mayor of Teddy City. This is the closest <laughs> I'm going to get. Uh, sorry Whoa. for that sidetracking there. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the What I normally do is I start from all the way to the left. Uh starting with uh, action comics and anything else that starts with the letter A, and I slowly make my way down the line. I avoid the volumes or graphic novels because like, I, I usually don't go in for those. I like to keep my upfront costs uh, small. Um, whatever I find, uh, I then go up to cash register, uh, talk to whoever it is that I know there, uh, ask them, you know, what's going on in the shop today. Yep. And see if they have any recommendations. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they don't have any recommendations and I have picked something already, I just give them, cash in, get out. Uh, one of the things that I've kind of struggled with uh, remembering to do is asking for sleeve for my comics. Yeah. 
It was like for a, those of you who don't know, uh, you see my instructional video on the topic. You always want to bag and board your comics, and most comic shops, if they're a good one, they'll if you ask for a bag and board for your comics or whatever handful of comics you brought in that day, they'll usually give it to you. Oh yeah, so good thing to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. Um, for the sake of protecting your comics, which if you're into comics in like any serious way at all, you want them bagged and boarded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's usually my routine. I will then leave, go take the, the comics that I just read to like a sub shop and just read them, eat, bag them and board them again. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's that's my routine. Yeah. For me, um when I go to a comic shop, it's just for the comic shop. <laughs> and like <laughs> you tell me you eat or drink or whatever while you're reading the comics, like just terrifies me cuz I'm just picturing like grease from the food or something on your fingers <laughs> or crumbs or something get all, all over the comics, ruining the cover. <laughs> like, "No, Emery, what are you doing? No, don't do it." I I napkins man come on yeah the oils it doesn't come off all the way it just, <laughs> what are you doing don't do it don't do it oh. uh, but uh I, my routine's fairly similar i usually go in say hi to whoever's working the shop at the time um like you go I go over to the new comic wall skin the wall i i'm not a if i if i'm gonna get a volume i don't get the physical one i I always get the digital ones because, you know, I get the physical copies because I want to collect the single issues. I don't want to collect the collection, you know, the book collection that really isn't worth anything, you know. Right. Uh, usually volumes in the physical form, they they might retain more of their value <coughs> overall just because there is so much content in them, but they don't gain a value, you know. Right. They're... they're they're like they're like blue chip stocks in that you know they're going to be dependable but you're paying a lot up front anyway, you know. Yeah. And they just they don't gain much value if any. And then with your single issues, particularly if they're good, you know, if they become very well known, uh they appreciate in value. Some depreciate, you know, it's unavoidable when you have something like 950 something issues like, you know, action <laughs> comics or whatever. Some of them are going to be worth nothing, you know, eventually, especially if they're damaged or something. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, like you, I stick to just the single issues. Um, I usually keep my eyes scoped out for new releases and last week's releases, just in case I missed anything the previous week. Um, if there's a variant that I'm looking for, I usually know ahead of time, so I know exactly what to look for and I find the title. Uh, I go down... Then if they have like an independent section, Laughing Ogre has an independent section. I check that out. I look that over and see if there's anything new. Independent turnover is pretty slow, so a lot of times there's nothing new there. But you know, if I have the extra money, I'll snag one of them just to try them out and see if one of them really catches me or something. I can support them going forward. Um, after which, usually by the the time I get done looking at the new stuff, I get excited. 
<laughs> it happens every time I go into the, the comic shop and I start looking at back issues and stuff and <laughs> checking to see if they got some new ones that I need in my collection. You know, uh, I, I start looking at the back wall, looking at the classic ones, seeing if there's any from the collections I'm trying to complete that need <laughs> that are, are there or signed or in good condition or whatever. And then, you know, if I'm feeling really energetic, I'll start looking through the boxes, you know, the back the backlog boxes and seeing if I can find others to complete my collection, see if they got any new stuff in, you know. Um, I typically go to World of Goods Comics for that, but um, yeah, I'll look through there. Um, usually I'll just walk through the store a little bit, look at the new, like, you know, decorative things and collectibles and stickers and statues and whatever else, just because... I know I'm I'm never gonna buy these things, you know, <laughs> just junk. It's, but in the store, nice in the nice at. cases and stuff, it's fun to look at. So I'll just walk around, look at the stuff, and you know, usually people watch just a little bit to see what people are getting. You know, getting an idea, idea and a feel for what the market's like. You know, and I'll go up, I'll pay for my comics if uh, specific uh, friends of mine are there. You know, I'll chat about the bangles for <laughs> 10 15 minutes or something and hang out there talking about you know upcoming stuff we're looking forward to and whatever else uh you know just you know hitting the shit <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and you know on the way out uh most comic shops have these little displays that you should always look out for because oh, there's, a, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of helpful stuff on there. Sometimes there's coupons. Sometimes there's like advertisement promos for like local events, local writers, local artists, whatever the case may be, local bands. Um, but what there always is is um, a little, a little publication that is put out by like a coalition of comic shop owners called Comic Shop News, ah. and they have these little things and. They basically give you an idea of like big books coming up, you know. Oh man! And there's almost always a DC and Marvel section, and you can see some of the covers they're going to release. Gives you all the pull lists. Again, if you don't want to do it this way, you can always go to FreshComics.us and get, you know, the upcoming releases, which is what we use. But this is super helpful. Sometimes they have interviews with the creators to give you more ideas. They'll have summaries of what the story is going to be about, you know. And it's just, you know, really cheap, you know, newspaper essentially giving you all the updates and giving you an idea of what you might want in the future. So hmm. I highly recommend if you go to physical comic book shops, and I hope you do, uh, to pick one of these up on the way out because they're, they're extremely helpful, especially if you have – a pool and you need to look way ahead of time and see, you know, what you're going to want. <laughs> oh yeah. When the current issues run out or something. Um, definitely very informative. And they definitely, they always tell you when something's going to get canceled, you know, say, uh, is comic a, B and C is, you know, ending its run here, you know, or, you know, ceasing production here. You know. So, well, folks, I think that wraps up another mediocre episode of hit the books podcast. Mediocre. Thank you all for watching and sticking with us. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit like and subscribe and follow us on your podcast services and social networks of choice. We're on Twitter at HTBVids. We're on Facebook at forward slash hit the books. Our website is www.htbvids.com. I'm your host, Chris Holcomb. And I'm Emery Saunders. And thank you for watching. See you next week. Goodbye.
Worth it. Pop, 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 p